Please join me in prayer to God as we seek to listen to his word. Let us pray. Eternal God, through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, your kingdom has broken into our troubled world. Help us now to hear your word and give us grace to respond in faithful obedience that our lives might be signs of the new life given through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Psalms, chapter 16. This beautiful psalm describes the sheer joy David experiences in his life because of his trust in God. Listen to God's word for us. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a godly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you did not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful ones see the pit. You Show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning is from the first letter of Peter. The first letter of Peter was written toward the end of the first century. And it was written to give encouragement and hope to Christians. Now, after a very short salutation, the first two verses of the first letter of Peter in the first chapter, Peter proceeds then to remind the Christians of what they have received through the accomplishments of Christ. And so let's hear the text, verse 3 through verse 9 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every Easter, we Christians take our cue from the Apostle Paul. We scoff at death by saying, where is your victory? We mock death with the challenge, where is your sting? Well, even though death may have been swallowed up in victory on Easter, it's still awfully hard for us to get it out of our minds, isn't it? After all, it's the horizon before which we get up every morning and go to bed every night. The next day we awaken only to discover that the horizon has drawn a little bit closer. It's the one thing that each of us has yet to experience. We would do well to remember one theologian's wise counsel, everyone must believe by himself because ultimately everyone must die by himself. Now in this time of the coronavirus shutdown, death is making known its ugly st statistical presence every day. The grim and tragic news is everywhere. It's difficult for us not to sit up and take notice. And I suppose that's the way it has always been with plagues and pandemics. Disease outbreaks have ravaged humanity, killing upwards of it's estimated a billion people over the last 10,000 years. Ex experts tell us that maybe 300 million this past century. Sometimes changing the course of history and at times even signaling the end of entire civilizations. Today's crisis is similar to those of the past perhaps not of the same magnitude, but certainly by the shadow of mortality it casts over unsuspecting and unprepared peoples who never imagined that such a thing could actually happen to them, to us. I, what I mean is this. Life has always been mean, nasty, short, and brutish for the poor and disadvantaged. 
but for the developed industrial nations of the world and their elites. It's hard to know when or even if things can get back to business as usual. We'd forgotten just how uncertain existence can be despite all of our impressive human advancements and achievements. The grim statistics remind us that life is fragile and fleeting and that death is indeed the great equalizer. Not everyone will have a baby. Not everyone will own a house. Not everyone will be rich and famous. Not everyone will hold a job. Not everyone will be on a winning team. Not everyone will take a vacation or attend a graduation or enjoy a retirement. All of these events are familiar realities, but none of them is a universal reality for everyone. Death is the one common denominator that touches every human being. East of Eden, it's never not been that way. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm convinced that the Easter event we celebrated last week has something to say to us human beings who have always had this uneasy relationship with death. I think it's very interesting that Christians in the Middle Ages worked a change in the language when they substituted for the term graveyard the word cemetery. You see, on the one hand, graveyard was a spooky place out from town where ghouls and goblins and unholy spirits dwelled. Cemetery, on the other hand, was derived from the Greek word for a sleeping place, a resting place. And eventually, what happened? Well, eventually the tombs were brought in from the God-forsaken territories to the churchyard itself. Certainly a less fearsome place. One of the explanations for this is, is that our Christian forebears were convinced that the Bible encourages us to, to look at illness, tragedy, and death through the lens of Easter hope. One psalm tells us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When they arrive at the gates of death, Yahweh welcomes those who love him. In today's psalm, we heard read, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Thou dost not give me up to Sheol. Easter hope is is why Paul could write to his friends in Corinth some incredible words. He said, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And that's why Peter, 
here in, 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 the, in the passage from 1 Peter, Peter, brimming with hope, writes these words to his, his hearers there. He, he writes, by his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's been said that what distinguishes us human beings from the rest of the animal kingdom is that we alone are aware of our own finitude. Only we humans know that we are someday going to die. Now this universal truth is not in itself particularly consoling, but rather than to refuse to think about death or talk about it or plan for it or, or live in the light of it or maybe even come to welcome it, on this side of Easter, that is to say after Easter, because of Easter, we Christians are able to view death as a transition to an even more glorious life. Remember what Paul said to his friends, wrote to his friends. Our camping tents eventually wear out, but a day is coming when a beautiful temple will house our souls. Obviously, our future is not to vanish into nothingness or oblivion or reside in a state of limbo or merge into some sort of cosmic consciousness. We believe what Peter says. The outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And so we take heart knowing that the God who gives the lilies of the field clothing, who feeds the ravens, who grieves at the falling to earth of even the tiniest sparrow, and who raised his only son, must surely have more in store for us, his children. It was Pope Benedict XVI, back when he was still known as Josef Ratzinger, who reminded us we must be mindful of the fact that death is no longer the same as it was before Christ endured it. Before, death was just death, separation from the land of the living and impenetrable darkness. But now death is also life, and when we pass over the glacial solitude of the threshold of death, we always meet once more with him who is life. If God has the power to provide an adequate body for life before death, surely God has the power to provide the appropriate body for us when our lives are done. You see, once 
once the power of God gets added into the equation, even life after death comes to be viewed as our realistic hope. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the first fruits. Perhaps you know it. Paul refers to him in that way in 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He puts it like this. He says, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now this imagery derives its background from, the, from Jewish life. At the feast of the Passover each year in early spring, about this time of year, a few sheaves of barley were reaped from the field in accordance with the law. And then those sheaves of barley were brought and presented to the priest as an offering to God. These first fruits served as a sign and pledge of the harvest yet to come. And so if there are first fruits, there are obviously going to be second fruits. And thus to refer to Jesus as the first fruits implies that there will be subsequent later fruit, fruits, us, to follow. And that's precisely what the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism are getting at in question 45, which we'll see in just a few minutes. The resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge to, uh, 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 pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. That's the decisive victory won for us on Easter. Well, maybe you know the story. The story about the preacher who thundered from his pulpit one Sunday morning he said, every member of this church is going to die. And the startled worshipers in the pews just sort of squirmed uncomfortably. But one man near the front just grinned. The preacher shouted louder, every member of this church is someday going to die. And the man with the grin just sort of chuckled to himself. And so the preacher tried again. He said, every member of this church is somehow, somewhere going to die. The man just laughed. Frustrated by the apparent indifference of this worshiper to the future that awaited him, the preacher stopped, turned to the man and asked him, do you mind telling me what you think is so funny? And then the man explained. He said, I'm not a member of this church. You can laugh at that time if you like, yeah. Now granted, that man may not have been the brightest bulb in the box, but he wasn't wrong to laugh, was he? At least not in a Christian church. Think about it like this. 
The adversaries of Jesus may have been laughing when he was crucified, dead, and buried. But who was laughing three days later? As the psalmist writes, the Lord turns my mourning into dancing. The Lord girds me with gladness so that I give thanks to God forever. My friends, Easter hope knows that when there is no one else, that God is there always through the cloud and sunshine. Easter hope knows that with Christ, our victory is assured and we are never alone. Easter hope knows that we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father and that nothing will ever separate us separate us from his love. Easter hope knows that he who stands beyond death will be the loving father for whom our hearts have been restless all these years. Because of Easter, we have a hope that makes us glad and fills us with unutterable and exalted joy. Amen.